Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Steve Maraboli once said, Everything is easier said than done. Wanting something is easy. Saying something is easy. The challenge and the reward are in the doing. Good evening, folks. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And I'm Jonathan, and that different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Thanks for joining us tonight. This is a call-in format. We are caller-friendly. So let's get started. Good evening, my friend Jonathan. Good evening, Rick. Our question for this evening is, how can I get the Holy Spirit? And our theme text is found in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So how can I get the Holy Spirit? I want me some of that. <laughs> well, think about this. I mean, folks, folks, listen to this. How, how would you like access to power. Now, this power can change your life. It can give you things, protect you. It can even heal diseases. This power is from a source that is unlimited, a source that is generous, and a source that truly has your best interest in mind. Now, Ooh, does, sign me up. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's it. That sounds intriguing. Everybody wants that. Now, for many Christians, this power is the Holy Spirit. And these enticing claims come across as very real. But the question is, are they real? Is this what the Holy Spirit is really all about, or does the truth of the matter look entirely different? Who gets the Holy Spirit? When you get the Holy Spirit, what, what does that mean? What does it change? Can we, should we be trying to have the Holy Spirit working in our lives. So Jonathan, it's a very direct question about a very basic tenet of all of Christianity. That's right. How do you really truly get the Holy Spirit? What does it do for you? And really, one of the most important things about tonight, Jonathan, is what doesn't it do for you? Because as usual, what we want to do is we want to sweep the curtain back of mystery and try to look directly at the scriptures and be really honest and sincere about what they say the Holy Spirit is, what it does, how it works, and therefore the things that it might not do that you might expect it to do or want it to do, and so we can see what the truth of the matter is. So that's what we're going to attempt tonight. We'll see how well we do with that. <laughs> so let's get let's get started with just a, a, a big, broad, sweeping uh, approach. How does the Bible describe the Holy Spirit? And, and Jonathan, you know, there's, um, there's something that as we, and I may have mentioned this before on the program, I don't know, um, but something has occurred to me over the last year, two or three of Christian questions. And that is pretty much everything you need to know you can find in the book of Genesis. Wow. <laughs> there is 
an allusion to the entire plan of God, to all different aspects of the plan of God. It really is startling when you think about it and begin to look uh, look at it. So we're going to look at the book of Genesis, as a matter of fact, at the very beginning of the book of Genesis, because God's Spirit wastes no time in making itself known. It's in the second verse of the entire Bible. So let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, to get the introduction to God's Spirit. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, one day. All right, so what you have is that very, very famous first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it says, the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. So you say, Okay, what is that? What does that mean? Well, what does the word for spirit mean there? Because remember, in the writing of Genesis, you have no preconceived notions of anything. What you have is the very beginning. The whole thing is brand new. So what is that word for spirit when it says the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters? What does that word for spirit actually mean? Well, Rick, the Hebrew says it's wind by resemblance breath. That is a sensible or even violent exhalation. Okay, so it really has a lot to do with with the power of wind, you know. And, and you know, of course, you can say, "Well, you old, <laughs> yeah." <laughs> I was thinking, "You old windbag," but <laughs> that was better. <laughs> so you've got this sense of the power of, of something that when, wind you can't see. <laughs> Right, you're right. Okay, but you can feel it. Right, and and that's the thing, you can't see it, but you can feel it. Um, so, that's the Old Testament. That's the introduction to the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Now, in the New Testament, we're just gonna this this first segment. We're just gonna lay some very basic, um, broad strokes groundwork for what is meant by the Holy Spirit according to Scripture. In the New Testament, the phrase Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit always comes from a combination of two words. Okay, without exception, it always comes from two words, holy and spirit. Now, that's pretty easy to figure out so far. Sure. <laughs> All right, so, so what does holy actually mean? It means sacred, pure, morally blameless, or religious, ceremonial, consecrated. Okay, um, so holy means sacred. And... You know, maybe one day we ought to do a, do an entire podcast on, on what does it mean to be holy, because that is such a powerful concept that I think that we probably too often and too easily just kind of brush over the top. You know, we kind of look at it and say, okay, you know, that's, that. yeah, yeah, sure, you want to be holy, but but to be sacred. I mean, Jonathan, when you, when you that's think... That's a great idea. What, I'd love to do a program on that. Now, when you think of being holy, what do you think of? Being righteous, pure, um, just 
Okay, you're being in tune with God. Yeah, you're in tune with, you're set aside, you're in a place where God can actually use you to do things. That's what it means to be holy. And so when you have something called Holy Spirit, you have this sacredness that's attached to it, that's inherent in it. And when, when, when you think about, uh, you know, when we say God is holy, God's purposes, that it means that God's purposes are so far above and beyond anything we can see or imagine, we need to be able to look up to them with, with honor and praise and great reverence. So holiness produces or should produce reverence. Make Absolutely. Sense? Okay. Oh, for sure. So we, we want to be able to, to see it that way. Holiness produces reverence. So holy, sacred, if you will, pure, morally blameless, like you mentioned. The other word that makes up the phrase Holy Spirit is the word spirit. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> and Rick, Rick, that word means a current of air that is a breath or blast or a breeze. So now that's kind of curious when you think about it because you think – you know, so often we think of the Holy Spirit in, in a different way. We, we, we tend to put a personality to it. But the scriptures aren't really telling us that. They're telling us in the Old Testament that the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And the Spirit of God, like you said, resembled, was like wind or breath. You know, a violent ex, exhalation. So, you know, something that can move without it being seen. In the New Testament, the word, it comes from the word, it is the word for air, a current of air, a blast of air. And when you think about that, you think of, uh, you know, a tornado or, sure. or a hurricane. And, you oh, know, yeah. the interesting thing about a, a tornado is if it weren't for the dust and the debris that the tornado picks up, you wouldn't see it. Because but but it, you would hear the freight train coming. That's right. You would hear it and you would see the effects of it, but you would not be able to see it except that it picks up so much debris because it is so incredibly powerful. That's what gives it uh, a, a shape. But really, it's, it's not something that can be detected except for something ex external being a part of it. So the phrase Holy Spirit, sacred breath, sacred power, if you will. Now, the, and, and, and folks, I apologize, but we, we're getting into some definitions here uh, this evening just to, to lay this out. Because uh, we think it's really important to understand scripturally the basis of what the Holy Spirit is. Okay? You know, we can have a lot of conversations about, you know, how it works and all that. And we're going to get into that. But let's understand the basis of, of what, it's, what it's made from. It's the sacredness of God, and it's this breath or wind. Now, the root word for spirit or ghost or wind um, is, is what? Rick, it means to breathe hard. That is a breeze or blow. Okay, so it's the same kind of thing. As a matter of fact, um, this root word is only used like seven times in the New Testament. One of those uh, uses is in Matthew 7, 25. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Now, the interesting thing about that now is, is you know, it says the wind blew. And that's the root word for the word used for spirit. And it says, and the winds blew and beat upon that house. Now, we often, when you see the incredible power of wind, we often make it personal. We give it a character. Boy, that, was, right. that was one mean and nasty uh, storm. 
And we even name them. Yeah, yeah that's right. We do. <laughs> we do because it's easier to describe them in that, in that format. And I think when we look at God's spirit and we look at what it said very simply at the very beginning in the book of Genesis. I mean, the book of Genesis starts out and it says, how did creation happen? It was through the spirit of God. Well, what was the spirit of God? It was his power and his influence. That's what happened in Genesis. In, in the New Testament, the same is true in terms of the makeup of the words. And Jonathan, when we, when we go back to that thought about, and really, you know, I mean, everything you need to know doesn't come from Genesis, but almost, you know what I mean. <laughs> when we come back to that, what we need to understand is the New Testament is always built on a foundation of the Old Testament the moral law of the Old Testament carried through. Jesus taught the moral law, but he took the, the, the ritual law and said, no, 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 you don't need to do that. No more sacrifices, no more any of those things because I'm here now. But you still shouldn't kill. You still should honor your parents. You still should, you know, the Ten Commandments are still in place. Sure, sure. Okay? When you look at the way things are described in the Old Testament, they carry through to the New Testament and perhaps in a, in, a, in a broader way. And that's the way the, the Spirit is, as we will see in the New Testament. The point is, the Old Testament gives us the clue, the basis, the foundation to understand the new. And if we're going to just skip over the old, we're going to miss what the new means. And you can't do that. So, And Rick, it's interesting, based on these definitions, these um, evidences aren't uh, professed in church today. No. You don't hear this... No this simple word-for-word definition of what it was truly meant to understand. Right. And, and I think that that's why we're spending as much time on that uh, in this particular segment at the very beginning of this conversation. So, so by the definitions of the words involved, what we can see is that the Holy Spirit would be in its most literal sense. Now, obviously, you can have you know, sort of a figurative meeting, and, and we'll, we can expand on that as we go. But in, in its most literal sense would be a sacred blast or breath an unseen, powerful, moving force. Because we understand sacredness to be from God, and again, you, I cannot stress enough how important it is to realize that when something is holy, truly holy, it always has its, its, um, its origin in God himself. Anything that is truly holy. Now, we can, we can call things holy, but they're, they, not, they are not necessarily. So if you want to figure out if something is truly holy, does it have its origin in God Almighty? So when you have this holy, this sacred spirit, what does that mean? It means that it comes from God. So we can see it, the, the sacredness is from God. It's not unreasonable to label the Holy Spirit as the sacred power and influence of God. For just as the wind has power, which itself is unseen, but its results are obvious, so is God's influence. It is itself unseen, but its results are undeniable. So when we look at that, Jonathan, we put that together, that can come across as saying, well, aren't you missing something? And the answer is, well, no. What we're trying to do is stay very precisely with how the Old Testament builds the idea of God's Spirit, and then how we can take what the Old Testament built and apply it in the New Testament so that we can say, okay, let's take the foundation, let's build upon it, and let's see how this thing is really supposed to work. Because the idea of this program tonight 
is how can I get the Holy Spirit? How can I get me some of that? <laughs> well, if you don't know what you're trying to get, why are you even trying to get it? There you go. So, really, <laughs> really, that's what that, that that's why this the belaboring this point is so important up front. We want to be sure that we are clear that we have a foundation. We have we have words now for the rest of the program. What we're going to need to do is we're going to see if it all fits together. All right, we we've gone out on a limb here. And we said, okay, here's how we see the understanding of the words, and you put them together, and here's how we see it. It all, it all comes together. Great. But does it fit? But does it work? But does it apply when we go through the rest of the scriptures? And that, Jonathan, is something that we are really just going to have to investigate as time goes on through this particular program. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Tonight's episode is, How Can I Get the Holy Spirit? Coming up, why is the Holy Spirit such a big part of Christian thinking and belief? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Tonight's episode is, How Can I Get the Holy Spirit? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. Christian Questions, a weekly habit that's good for you. Thanks for tuning us in every Monday evening. Join our conversation any day and time at ChristianQuestions.com. So, Jonathan, at the end of the last segment, you asked the question, why is the Holy Spirit such a big part of Christian thinking and belief? And there's a really simple answer for that. And, and what's that, Rick? Jesus said it would be. <laughs> <laughs> and whatever Jesus says, I go with, okay? It's, it's really a simple thing. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would be a major, major part of Christianity. So, what we want to do is we want to trace, in this segment, what we want to do is trace why and how Jesus put that in place. What happened and how did the Holy Spirit uh, become such a big, big part of what we know as Christianity today? So it becomes, in many ways, a centerpiece for us. How so? Well, let's go back to, uh, and we're only going to touch on a few things that Jesus said. There, there's so many things he said about, about the Spirit that are very, very powerful, but we only have time for just a few tonight. The night before his crucifixion, um, he was speaking to Peter, and some of the words he said to Peter left what would be, I think, a mysterious little hint about uh, what was going to be happening. Now, this is when, when you think about the, this verse, it almost comes across as a little bit strange. Luke 22 Verses 31 and 32. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. So, wait a minute. It says, when you are converted. Wasn't, wasn't Peter already a follower? He was. That was that's confusing. So, and look, of all the followers of Jesus, you would say that Peter was the one that was really right out in front. I mean, oh, for sure, he's the spokesman. 
He's the boldest. <laughs> he's the one who gets into all the trouble. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> uh, but but he's got such an outward uh, public passion for following and supporting Jesus. And it's unmistakable where his heart is. Now, he doesn't always do things the right way, but his heart is absolutely focused on the right things and, 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 and the right, um, right results. He just doesn't know how to get there. So, so when our Lord said, when thou art converted, what was he saying? And th- that's the point, is Peter was a follower, but not fully a follower. So he's saying to Peter, something is going to happen to you. That and, and you will be able to respond to it, and once it happens, then you will be in the place you need to be. To strengthen your brethren. Right, right. So he is um, he's saying to him, you don't yet have the ability to do what's in your heart to do, but be patient, it will come. The time will come, and the method will come. Now, Peter had no idea, I'm sure. Well, what do you mean when I'm converted? I've been following you for years Where you go, I go. How much more converted do I need to be? And the answer was, yes, Peter, your heart and desire are there. Now your mind needs to be converted in in a way that you have no conception of of the power that's going to happen. So, yes, Peter was a follower, but he wasn't fully a follower. He wasn't capable of doing what he, in his heart, wanted to do in his dedication to the Lord. That would come very soon after. So Jesus now, before his crucifixion, unequivocally told his followers to wait for the Spirit. Now this is John chapter 16, verses 5 to 7, and this is that night, this is in between the memorial supper and, or I'm not sure if it's before memorial supper, I think it's before actually. Um, And and, you know, they're going to be going out to Gethsemane soon. So this is it. This is the last time that Jesus has to really, really fellowship and teach. And this is a small, small part of what he tells them about the importance of God's Spirit. John 16, 5 to 7. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send it to you. So he's talking about going away. And he's saying, look, what's going to happen is going to tear you guys to pieces. And I know that. And he said, but I have to go. Because if I don't go, then what he calls the Helper can't come to you. And, well, why would that be? Because the sacrifice wouldn't have been complete to open the door for God's power and influence to be part of their lives. That's why. So now, here's an interesting question, Jonathan. I'm just going to put the question on the table. We'll come back to it later. But wasn't the Holy Spirit around in the Old Testament? It was. So, yeah, absolutely. So why would this be different? So let's just hold that thought for later. Good. So we've got the... the, um, What Jesus says after this in John 16 is he goes into what the Holy Spirit is going to do. And he actually gives a prophecy. And he said said several things. And um, we don't have time to go into it uh, tonight with the program. But if you you subscribe to Seeker Rewind, in the bonus material, we go through the prophecy and how it was fulfilled. And it's very fascinating to see how the Spirit found a voice. The Spirit found its voice through the voice of Peter. And that, that's, a, that's one of the ways that God's power and influence works. It works through our voices, our actions, uh, and, and our, our direction. 
uh, the direction that we're going. So if you don't subscribe to Seeker Rewind, the full edition, please do. It's a free service. You can subscribe through your Christian Questions app or online. Uh, if you want to opt out for any reason because you don't like it, you just click the button and nobody will ever bother you again. But it's a great, great way to take the notes on a program, especially like this, Jonathan, where we're, we're taking a very clear approach on what we think the Holy Spirit is. Uh, you want to see those scriptures. You want to see them in order. There's a lot of value to it. There's um, graphics, illustrations. It's a wonderful document to actually listen to the program and read along. Right. And it really helps you to tie it together. Right. And, and that's the key is tying it all together. So, so far, let's do a little tying together. Uh, uh, Jesus tells Simon Peter that, look, uh, when you are converted, you'll be able to strengthen your brethren. That's right. mysterious. Like, what do you mean by that? Then a little later he says, I have to go away so the helper can come because without the helper, you're, you're going to be lost. So that ties into being converted. You see, because without the helper, you're going to be lost. That's what he was saying. So he goes into some more detail on that. So now we go beyond the crucifixion. We go beyond the resurrection. And now we go to the point where Jesus is going to ascend. He's getting ready to ascend to the Father, finally. And he again talks about the power, the influence, and the importance of this helper, this spirit. Let's go to uh, Luke uh, chapter 24, verses 45 to 49. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the scriptures, and said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Okay, now pause there for a second, because Jesus is now is finishing up, and he's saying, look, Christ had to suffer, you saw that. He had to die, you saw that. He rose on the third day, you saw that. Why? That repentance and remission of sins, something new should be preached, something that the Old Testament had nothing to do with, and this is a, this is a combination of, of what John the Baptist was saying, plus what Jesus was saying. So he's saying that repentance and the remissions of sin should be preached in his name amongst all nations. So now all of a sudden there's this floodgate somehow opened up. And Jesus says, but it has to begin at Jerusalem. Now, Here's now, their mission. Right. And this is where your mission starts. So he's leaving them. And as he leaves them, he's telling them, I'm, I'm, I'm putting you in place for the next step. Listen to what I say to you because you need to be in the right place at the right time to be able to know what the right thing to do is. And, and so now, again, verses 48 and 49 of Luke 24. And ye are witnesses of these things, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem, until ye be endowed with power from on high. Power from on high. That sounds exactly like the definition that we started with. Right, right. And, and, and that's the point, is that there's a great consistency if you allow the consistency to speak from Scripture. And Rick, what Jesus is saying to the disciples here is, this is the most important thing from this point on. Yeah. Remain in Jerusalem. This is critical. Right. Do not leave until you know you're supposed to. 
Right. And, and so you at this point, you know, he's going to ascend to heaven very, very soon after this. So you got to think that if these are some of the last instructions he gives, they're going to really stay in their heads. Like, did you I mean, first of all, can you imagine just watching that happen? Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're standing there and you heard the instructions. It's not just like you're seeing something happen. That's a miracle. That's like far away from you. You're seeing this miracle happen in front of you, and the miracle is including you. It's Jesus is saying, you need to be endowed with this power from on high, because that will give you, here's the thing, that will give you what I have been giving you. That will give you the encouragement and the strength that you need to carry on and carry out the message of the gospel. So, you know, a lot of times, in, in be, um, before the Holy Spirit came to the apostles, they would be told something by Jesus and they wouldn't listen too well. <laughs> and they wouldn't understand. No, and, and, and this time they do. They listen very clearly, they stay uh, in Jerusalem, and now it's the day of Pentecost. And, and I mean, it started in verse 45, then he opened up their understanding. He made sure they had the ability to get it. Yeah, yeah, No, and that's that's a really good point their understanding was not open of their own accord. No, it wasn't. So their mind had to be unlocked to a degree at that moment so they could see the gravity of having to be where they were supposed to be. Yes. So they knew something very special was coming, but they didn't know what. Now, we're not going into the whole Pentecost thing, which is a fascinating, fascinating event. But you remember, the disciples are there... And then you hear the, the rumbling sound, almost like a freight train, the, 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 it, you know, just like you were describing the wind in the, in the, in the first segment. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and they hear this sound, and then the tongues of fire appear over the heads of the apostles. And then all of a sudden, in front of all of these people, they start speaking in foreign languages. And everybody's hearing their own language and their understanding. It's like, wait, wait, what, what, what's happening here? This can't be real. And so we're going to drop in on that event. Now, the Holy Spirit, God's power and God's influence, has just manifested itself in a most unbelievable, incredible way. So Acts chapter 2, we're dropping in right in the middle of that event. Acts chapter 2, verses 12 to 16. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice, and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as yet supposed, seeing it's but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he goes on to quote the prophet Joel, and he talks about the Spirit. But the point is, Peter begins to strengthen his brethren right then and there. That's cool. That's the fulfillment of that Luke 22 right. verse. When you are converted, when the power from on high comes to you, now you can actually go to work. And you will know what to do. You will know how to do it because you'll have that internal direction. So it's really dramatic. Because, you know, they're saying, this can't be right, these guys must be drunk. And Peter says, well, look, it's 9 o'clock in the morning, that's not going to be, all right? We're, we're, we're better than that. What's happening here is something godly, something higher, something that's never been seen before. It's and, a miracle before their eyes. And, you know, when you think about it, Jonathan, this is the kind of, this is a miracle that has never been seen. Jesus performed all kinds of miracles, but not one like this. That's right. 
this was to give the people there a jolt to understand something deeply spiritual, something sacred was happening. Because when Peter speaks up, he speaks up as a representative of God through Jesus, and he speaks about Scripture, and he speaks about Jesus, and he speaks about the ransom, and he speaks about following in his footsteps. So this is not to say, hey, step right up. We got this new group. It's going to be called Christians, and we're going to be really cool, and we're going to sing a lot of songs together, and we're going to praise together, and we're going to all hug each other. It's going to be really wonderful. There's none of that kind of thing. There is the depth of the power of the plan of God that he quote goes back to Old Testament prophecy to quote. Yeah, and when, when you hear his sermon and him tying in all the Old Testament prophecies proving that Jesus right, was right, the Messiah right. and this power, I mean, everyone standing there, must have, their jaws must have dropped to say, this is amazing. This is huge. This is from God. They're blessed of God here in front of us. And, and think about those who knew Peter before this. And they're thinking, how did he get so smart all of a sudden? Yeah. Because he was never able to do that. So there, again, Jesus, you know, why is the Holy Spirit such a big part of the Christian thinking and belief? Because Jesus said, look, you're going to need this. And the Apostle Peter is a great example of this being in place. Um, so that's Pentecost. That's where it comes from. We'd love to talk to you right now. We're live. Call us at 866-985-FOR-ALL. That's 866-985-4255. Or leave us a comment at ChristianQuestions.com. So Peter here is transformed from follower to leader, from questioner to teacher, from human-mindedness to spirit-mindedness. This baptism of the Spirit was a one-time event. We're not going to get into that in detail. Signifying the birth of the body of Christ. It would, this baptism of the Spirit would never again need to be repeated, for the Spirit would abide with, comfort, and teach those chosen followers through the entire age of the Gospel. That's where it came into play, and it hasn't left since. So now you say, okay, so that means all Christians can have the Holy Spirit. No, not even remotely close, because it's, we've been trying to, to make the point of how serious a business this is. And to stress that point... The Spirit for followers. What, 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 do, what cost is there to get the Spirit? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26, 29, and 31. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, Jonathan, you know, we, we, we usually talk about God and reverence and, and the love of Jesus. This, and, and this is a New Testament scripture. This is not in the Old Testament where it was eye for eye, tooth for tooth. This is New Testament and it says it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is serious. It is. And what it's saying is you don't take God's power and influence lightly. If you are, if you are in line for that begettal, and we'll talk about what that means coming up in the program very, very soon, this is something that is life-altering. And if you play games with it, there are consequences. That's what it means. He says it's terrifying. This is a very sobering experience. 
in, in this case, Rick, we should be afraid. Yes, yes, we should, because God's Spirit is not to be trifled with. God's power and his influence, look at what it did through the Apostle Peter. That is not power and influence that you can look at and look at lightly and say, oh yeah, well, you know, anybody can do that. No, 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 not anybody can or should even think about doing that. And Jonathan, I think this is where a lot of Christianity goes wrong. We look at the Holy Spirit and we say, oh yeah, that's a nice thing. No, the Spirit is for the followers of Christ, but not for casual followers. It is only for those called ones who answer the call to a life of selflessness, sacrifice, and humble acquiescence to the will and the way of God. This is business that mishandled would be terrifying. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Tonight's episode is, How Can I Get the Holy Spirit? Coming up. Okay, now that we're all scared out of our wits, what else should we be looking out for? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Tonight's episode is How Can I Get the Holy Spirit? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL. Or you can message us on your app. And you can do that with your smartphone during the program, and we will try to share your comment on air. You can also do it with your smartphone if you want, but I don't know how that's going to work out for you. <laughs> Thanks, bud. Hey, anytime. You know, you know what I'm good for, right? <laughs> Look, we're, we're talking about the, the Holy Spirit, and the last thought of the last segment, Jonathan, was it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of God. And you say, well, why would we, why would we be talking about that if we're talking about the love of Jesus? And the answer is because to be a true Christian is not a matter of lightness and a matter of ease. It is a life of real serious dedication, and you need to take it absolutely seriously. So, and, and so, Rick, really, the fear is you have a relationship with our Heavenly Father, and you believe in Jesus and his sacrifice, and you're blessed, and you receive the power and influence of God. And then life gets challenging. There's too many distractions. You want to... Have fun. You wait a minute. Why did I make this commitment when I could miss out on all these things? And, you know, I don't think I really believe it now based on this book I just read. So you're saying after all, all was good and, and right, then, then something changed. Right, right. And you have to be very, very careful. Now, God does not, on the other side of it, God does not arbitrarily give his spirit, I think, to anybody who professes to belief in Jesus. Because a profession of belief is not necessarily belief that changes you. God understands that. So that, there's the mercy of God involved in that as well. But, okay. you know, you're talking about the distractions, and yes. the, the Spirit of God does change the, the, the focus of our lives. Let's look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 21. First half of this verse is really kind of nice. The second half, not so much. <laughs> But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. 
for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. See, what it says is, if you have God's Spirit, you may not do the things that you please. You're no longer allowed to do just anything that you feel like you want to do. And that's harsh. Because humanity, especially now, when we're taught in, in the world around us that if you want to do it, then, hey, you just go ahead, Jonathan. You are your own person. and If, if you, it feels good, do it. That's right. And go have fun with it. And don't let anybody tell you differently. Not if you're a Christian. That's right. Because you're looking to do God's will, not your own. Right. Right. So... Now we get to the messy side of these verses because it's comparing the desires of the flesh with the spirit. Now, here he's going to now list out some of the deeds of the flesh. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that's a list. <laughs> and it's a serious <laughs> it list. It is. It's a serious list. You know, there, there, are, there are 17 things on that list. Nine of those things, most of us would say, oh no, I would never think of immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, drunkenness, and carousing. I, w I, I would never think of those things. But there's eight other things on that list, Jonathan. There's disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger. What about those? Do, mm. we, do we write, do we say, oh, I, what, this, what, what, what this scripture is saying is, you can't do whatever you please. So if you feel like having an outburst of anger, you should be thinking, is that a godly, spiritual thing for me to do, rather than just having the outburst because you feel like it? I mean, that's the depth of character that we're called upon to live up to uh, with, with God's Spirit. God's Spirit changes what's important to us. It completely changes what's important. Now, why did Paul see such a need to add uh, such a, a nasty list here? Because, well, Rick, we're all human, aren't yeah. we? <laughs> we well, all make mistakes. And we can easily take that which is spiritual and lofty and apply it to that which is base and earthly. Mm. And unfortunately, throughout much of Christianity, that's exactly what has happened with our descriptions of and our claims to God's Holy Spirit, His Holy Power and Influence. And it's a tragic thing. And that's why we're talking about this tonight, John. So this is the list of what you do not want to do. Right. If you're following in Jesus' footsteps, avoid at all costs. Right. And, it, and this is not a, a comprehensive list because it says, and things like these. So right. Right. just because just it's not on the list doesn't mean, okay, I can do that. <laughs> no. <laughs> Jonathan, there's a, we're going to go into a, a very, very important scriptural account. But before we do that, there's a quote by Rochelle Goodrich that I think fits really well here. Be careful what you wish for. It may turn out that making the wish was the only good part. Okay, be careful what you wish for. And I think a lot of us as Christians in our Maybe we haven't been taught well, whatever it is. We wish we would have God's Spirit. And my question is, do you really? Or do you know what you're wishing for? Let's look at Acts chapter 8, verses 9 to 23. And you know me, I'm going to inter interrupt you a lot. Uh, but this is the account of a man named Simon um, who was introduced to Christianity. 
Now, a certain man named Simon had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he was someone great. All of them, from the least to the greatest, listened to him eagerly, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they listened eagerly to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. All right, let, let's, let's pause there and let's paint this picture. Sounds like a great street performer. Yeah, you know, a, tr- a trickster. <laughs> but he's eloquent in his speech. He comes across powerfully. It says that he practiced sorcery. So he was dealing in, in a spiritual realm that he should never have been dealing with. And, and let me say, Jonathan, that, that sorcery, things like that, those, those things are real. There's no question about that. And they are things that absolutely should be avoided at all costs. And even if they're in cartoon form, <laughs> stay away. Yeah, you're right. And there's a lot of that. There's there a is. lot of that. And, and the, the thing about it, and, and let's go back just for a moment to some of the things we talked about in the first segment. Remember we were talking about sacred and holy, and holy always comes from God. Yeah. While sorcery and magic, be it black magic or white magic, while they have a spiritual uh, uh, tint to them, they are not holy. And that's the difference. Holiness comes from God. Everything spiritual isn't necessarily good because remember, Satan, the, the prince of this world, is also spiritual. And if it doesn't come from God and it's spiritual, there's only one other source. Satan. So Simon, this guy Simon, this is not Simon Peter, this guy Simon was very, very good at manipulating the people, at performing magic, at making them gawk at him. And they would call him, he is the power of God that is called great. I mean, they looked at him as godly, as a powerful man, and he had drawn this incredible following after himself. So he's got this really good thing going. And along comes Philip, who is a baptized Holy Spirit-driven believer in Jesus Christ. And what happens? Verses 12 uh, and 13. But when they believed Philip, who was proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. After being baptized, he stayed constantly with Philip and was amazed what he saw, the signs and great miracles that took place. So... Philip comes along and is speaking with something different. He didn't have the showmanship. You know, you don't see any sense of that here with, with Philip. He had the ability to perform miracles, and he was speaking the gospel. Gospel means good news of Jesus Christ. And he was drawing crowds after him. And Simon sees this, and you get the sense. It doesn't exactly say this, so I'm going to go out on a little bit of a limb. You get the sense that Simon sees what Philip is saying and doing and saying, there's something special about that. I want to see what that is. And Simon actually looks like he lets down his guard a little bit. And he listens, and he absorbs some of what he's hearing. And it says, Simon himself believed. And he was even baptized. So you see that Simon is now looking at life differently because this guy Philip comes along with this greater message and this greater ability, and he's saying, this is different than all the stuff that I used to do. Think about it. Philip is purpose-driven. Yes. Simon is performing. He's There's per- a huge difference there, Rick. Purpose-driven versus performance-driven. 
driven to give the good news of the gospel versus driven to create a following and create an egotistical place where I can dwell, where people one look is, at me. One is very hollow. Yeah, right. incredibly so. So now, now Simon is a baptized believer. Simon follows Philip because he sees real miracles, and he himself is amazed at what Philip is capable of doing. And now... Let, let's go a little further in the story. We're going to have to skip a couple of verses here in the interest of time. But uh, we're in Acts chapter 8, verses essentially verses 14 through 19. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. The two went down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. See, Simon sees an in. He goes back to his old way of thinking and says, Wow, if I can get the power to give the Spirit to others so they can do these amazing things, then I can create this incredible, unbreakable following, and I, can, I, know, how to, I know how to draw the people already. I know how to, how, to, how to sucker them in. And he is mixing the old ways into the gospel. And, and now think about it, Rick. That's not hard to do when you give your life to the Lord and you for, forget about the sacredness of your heart that right. was given to God. That can happen to anyone after they dedicate their lives to the Lord. So this is a picture of we, we better not do what Simon did. And that's why we're taking so much time on this particular story, because you're right. We can get all caught up in spirit. And emotion. But, right, but not the Holy Spirit. It's because the Holy Spirit is from God, and God's character, God's power and influence have nothing to do with that kind of an end result. So Simon wants the power of God's Spirit for himself. It would surely captivate the imaginations of the people in a way way beyond his previous endeavors. And he's like saying, I got to have me some of this. <laughs> because he sees it as this leg up to being, now I can be even more powerful than I've ever been. And, and, and so he's, he's, he's showing his true colors. And they are not the colors of sacred holiness. They're not. And so, now, Peter and John have come on the scene, all right? Yeah, yes, they have. So you've got, you've got the big guns having arrived, and they are, um, and, and, and Simon, of course, doesn't know who they are. He doesn't know their history. And There's trouble in River City here. Yeah, that's right, because <laughs> Simon says to Peter and John, hey, look, I'll pay you for this. Now, look, of all the people to say that to, you don't want to say it to Peter. No, you don't. Because he, remember, has been converted. He knows what God's spirit is about. He knows what the power is about. He knows what the goodness is about. And so let's take a look at what Peter says to him. Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain God's gift with money. That sounds like a lot of Christianity today, right here, right now. Oh, you are right. Trying to attain God's gift with money. It just doesn't work. It shouldn't work. It's not meant to work that way. It never worked that way. The Apostle Peter is telling us right here, right now. So if we are involved, folks, if you are involved in, in, in a worship that, that is money-based, that is promising you goods, uh, spirituality, for, because you give financial gifts, you had better be aware, because that is contrary. It is contrary. It's the opposite of what's right. It is not anything to do with the Holy Spirit. But it is a different kind of spirit. So be, be very aware. Continue. 
You have no part or share in this, for your heart is not right before God. See, now appearance and heart can be two very, very different things. Now remember, uh, Simon was already baptized. Now he was baptized with John's baptism, but still he was baptized. And he was showing himself to be a believer. He believed, but his heart... Peter says, you have no part of this. You're not included in this. The Spirit is not for you. It's not about you. You're on the outside looking in when it comes to, to God's Spirit. Go ahead. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. See, the Apostle Peter can see that the intention of his heart was evil and dark. The abuse of Christian privilege requires repentance. That's what the Apostle Peter is saying. Remember, Simon had not been a real true Christian. He professed belief. He was baptized. But Peter says, your heart is not in this. The intention of your heart has been wrong. And he's saying, you need to be repentant for what you've done. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the chains of wickedness. Boy, that sounds bad. I mean, you are in the gall of bitterness. Now, remember, gall um, was used to create numbness. That's right, a vinegar mixture. Right. So, I think what the Apostle Peter is saying, you've become numb to what the, the Spirit of God really is, the Holy Spirit, the sacredness of what we're talking about here. And because of that, you are bound to the wretchedness of sin. You are chained up in where you live. This is not showy. This is not right. a, a game. This is not an act. This right. is not, not entertainment here. Right, right. Nothing even close. And that's, folks, that's what we're saying. You know, we're saying, how can I get the Holy Spirit? Well, understand what the Holy Spirit doesn't do. It doesn't put on a show. It doesn't draw the crowds for the sake of raising the money. That's not what the Holy Spirit is about. It never has been, and it never will be. That's not it. So you've got this exposure, exposure that Simon is going through, and Peter is giving it to him very, very plainly and bluntly. And what does Simon say at the very end, Acts 8.24? But Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me yourselves, so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So you got to wonder, was this uh, an act of repentance, or was it just a fearful uh, plea for help? You know, it, it's hard to say. Our hope was repentance. Right. Our, that's our hope, what we really don't know. We really don't know. Christianity today mixes up John's baptism with Jesus' baptism. We're going to touch on that more in the second hour. But we have to realize it's not just about repenting of our sins. That's important. But you have to build on that with a life of sacrifice. That's what Jesus' baptism was about. And the Holy Spirit only comes to those who are in line with an understanding that Christianity requires everything from you. In the second hour, we're going to talk about how the Spirit works in our lives, what it does for us, and what it doesn't do for us so we can make sure that this incredible gift of God is used with respect and sacred honor. For Jonathan, Rick, and Christian Questions, we'll be back in just a few minutes. But until then, how can you get the Holy Spirit? Lots more to come. Think about it. Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. 
This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Bryant McGill once said, Healthy surrender means allowing yourself to be rather than being in a constant state of wants. And really, that's what we're trying to get to with understanding the Holy Spirit. Folks, good evening. Welcome back. I'm Rick. This is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a very different perspective. And Jonathan, what is the subject on the table tonight? Well, Rick, our question is, how can I get the Holy Spirit? And our theme text is found in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. All right. Be filled with the Spirit. You think about, okay, what does that mean? How do you get there? What is it like? Those are some of the things we want to get to in some depth in the second hour. But first, let's just take a a few minutes and and, and recap just some of the very, very core points from the, the first hour of the podcast. Well, Rick, remember, the Holy Spirit is God's power and influence, which was first revealed in the process of creation. Right. God's Spirit moved upon the face of the waters. I mean, Genesis 1, verse 2, right right there at the beginning. It gives you a sense right from the start all about what God's Spirit is. What's the second point? Jesus made the access to the Holy Spirit that his truest followers would make it a big deal. So Jesus was saying, look, it's a big deal, this spirit, this, the, 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 the power that's coming, the helper, he called it. You, and you've got to be ready for it. And they, and they did listen. And what's the third point? Because the Holy Spirit is so unique, mysterious, and powerful, the temptation to want it for oneself as a tool to serve oneself is great. As with magic, the appearance of having God's spirit can be dangerous. And Jonathan, in writing these out, when I wrote down the word magic, I spelled it M-A-G-I-C-K. And you say, well, that's a weird spelling. But that's what, that's what magic, the, the practice of magic, that's how they spell it. Because magic as practiced is not the magic that is a, 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 an illusion. Okay? There's a difference between M-A-G-I-C, magic, that you see in a magic show, Versus magic, M-A-G-I-C-K, which is actually an attempt at manipulating spirituality. And that's a scary place to be, a bad place to be. And it is a spiritual experience, but it is not a holy spiritual experience. It is unholy and it is dark, even if it's white magic. So I just want to make that point. Because uh, Simon was practicing sorcery in, that, in the first hour we talked about that. So, so now... How does the working of God's influence change from the Old Testament to the New Testament? Because there's a huge change between the Old and New Testaments. What is it, and how do we know about it? Well, let's go back to the Bible, because it always explains itself. That's the one thing about this book, Jonathan. <laughs> you can, it always explains itself if you know where to look to find the explanation. The Apostle Peter, comparing the Old Testament prophecies with his own experience at the Mount of Transfiguration. And remember, that experience at the Mount of Transfiguration was pretty remarkable. Oh, yes. You know, the vi- they had this vision. It was a vision. It wasn't real. It was a vision where, where it was, uh, what was it? It was um, Moses and Jesus glorified. And was it Elijah on, on the other side? And I think you're right. That's yeah. the vision. Okay, and he's saying this was an incredible vision. But here's what he says about the Old Testament prophecies. Listen carefully to this. Second Peter one, nineteen to twenty one. We're gonna read from the Rotherham translation. And and Jonathan, this is a rocky translation. It's not written to be smooth. 
it's written to try to be accurate, and that's why we chose it for this particular verse. And we have more firm the prophetic word, whereunto ye are doing well to take heed, as unto a lamp shining in a dusky place, until day shall dawn, and a day star shall arise in your hearts. Of this first taking note, that no prophecy of Scripture becometh self-solving, for not by will of man was prophesying brought in at any time, but as by Holy Spirit they were born along, spake men from God. So there's, there's a lot of things in here. First of all, he, he was, the Apostle Peter was just talking about his experience at the Mount of Transfiguration. And that was a personal experience. And when you have a personal experience, you tend to look at that and say, look, I'm telling you, this is what happened. I was there. But the Apostle Peter is, had just told them what his experience was. And he says, though, but we have a more firm prophetic word. So Wow. Round he, them right back to God's word. Right. He's saying... Okay, look, this happened to me, but even more firm than what happened to me is the Old Testament prophecies. And then he begins to explain a little bit about how those Old Testament prophecies came about. He says, first of all, prophecy of Scripture is not self-solving. You don't just, you know, you don't just decide you know what it means. There's, there's something much, much more to that. It's a studied process, and it's a hard process. Figuring out prophecy, Jonathan, is a lifelong experience. Oh, it is. And a lot of times you get it wrong. <laughs> yeah, and then you learn, and, and you move on from there. And one of the great ways to, to, to look at some of the prophecies in the Old Testament are the ones that have already come true. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> that you can say, aha, I can see that one because it already happened. See how smart I am. <laughs> but, it said, but it's interesting. In verse 21, it says, For not by the will of man was prophecy brought in, but as by a Holy Spirit they were born along spake the men from God. And that's a weird phrase. What do you mean they were born along? They were brought along, right? right. They were carried yes. along to write, not because they got an idea, but because God planted the words in their head so they can write it through their hand. And that was the Holy Spirit in action. And that's the way it worked in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit, God's power and influence, influence the prophets to say things or to do things or to write things. And they did exactly what they, well, they were supposed to have done. You know, Jonah is one of those examples where he was told to do something and he did something completely different. Uh, but they were given direction and that's what they were supposed to do. The Holy Spirit dropped in on them, pushed them along, it carried them through to, to accomplish God's will, and then, then it was gone. So it dropped in when it needed to, to create a message. So it was like spirit on loan for the Old Testament. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It, it, was, it was when it was needed, it showed up. Okay, cool. <laughs> when it wasn't needed, you couldn't find it anywhere. Okay? okay. That's a good way to put it. Go ahead. Well, um, we, I would like to read um, some information that a good friend of ours from CQ, um, Cheryl, sent in to us on the subject of how can I get the Holy Spirit. I, I loved her her thoughts, and the research she put into it. So now, this paragraph that you're going to read is really focusing on where we're going next. Yes. Because we just looked at the way, the mechanical way, the Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament. Well, how does it work in the New Testament? This is going to get us started on this next part of the conversation. So there are two parts and two parties involved. First, 
We have to be looking, searching, studying to know God. And as we come to know him, our love for him grows, and we desire to know him more and to serve him. We are willing to give up all our own hopes and ambitions and will to do God's will. And reaching this point, we make a vow to God, consecrating our all to him. Then, if God sees that our hearts are sincere, our understanding of what this consecration means is clear, then he will accept that consecration. And in so doing, he begets us with his Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us into deeper understanding of his word, into a life dedicated uh, in service, sharing these precious truths he has entrusted to us with others and to develop us into the character likeness of Christ. And through much of his, this may be done through hardship, persecution, sacrifices, there is a quiet joy and peace and comfort and strength knowing the sure promises that lay ahead. And if we do our part, it is certainly that God will do his part, helping us every step of the way through his power and influence. That is the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And there are many other scriptures that collaborate and that being a Christian at this time involves sacrifice and suffering to prove faithful and obedient to God and his principles of righteousness and worthy of being a part of the bride of Christ. And it is God's Holy Spirit abiding in our heart and mind that helps us and is necessary for us to be successful. All right. She said a lot. That was from Cheryl. Yeah, a lot of things in there. It talked about begetting, dedicated life, truth, trials, joy, peace, comfort, and abiding. And we're going to touch on many of those points now because the way the Holy Spirit works in the New Testament only for the truest of true Christians. And I want to really stress that at this point because we're, we're, we're going to break into the New Testament ways it works now. But again, realize who it's angled at, who is being focused on, who is being spoken to. It's those who are really, really, really seeking after the will of God who have been called. Let's lay that out scripturally. The New Testament followers are given God's power and influence to have it dwell within them. And Cheryl mentioned that being begotten of the Spirit. That's a big difference from the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophets did not have God's Spirit dwelling within them. They had use and an attachment to God's Spirit. So in the New, it finds a home in the New Testament. Let's read within us. Right. Let's read First Corinthians. So it, you know, rather than being on loan, it actually finds a home. That's right. Okay. <laughs> like that. First Corinthians six, verse fifteen, then verses nineteen to twenty. Know ye not that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Far be it. Or know ye not that your body is a shrine of the Holy Spirit that is within you, which ye have from God, and ye are not your own, for ye have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. So you have been bought with a price. Your Holy Spirit is a shrine. Another translation says a temple. The Holy Spirit's within you. When you had a temple, the, 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 the spirituality dwelled there. That's the difference between the Old and New Testament. It's a very, very different application of God's Spirit. Christians who have the Spirit are bound to keep themselves from sin wherever possible. It says, you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Don't even think about sinful actions because you are now about something bigger, more powerful, stronger, more important, more, uh, more dedicated than anything you could possibly even imagine. 
We welcome all comments or questions, even if you disagree with us. Give us a call. We're live at 866-985-4ALL. That's 866-985-4255. So you have an idea that this the Spirit indwells within true Christians. And again, I want to stress, Jonathan, that everybody who professes the name of Christ doesn't fit into this category. And that sounds harsh, but when you look at what's required, everybody who professes the name of Christ doesn't want to be in this category. No, that's true. They don't want to pay the price, if you will. The other thing about the New Testament is the experience with the Holy Spirit is new. It is different. It has never happened before. And we know that because, again, the scriptures tell us that there is a uniqueness to this. And that's why Jesus was so particular about the apostles being at the right place at the right time uh, on the day of Pentecost so that experience could begin. So let's take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Again, you never see anything remotely close to that uh, described in the Old Testament. No, you don't. So the way the Spirit, the manifestation of God's Holy Spirit is totally different in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And in the New Testament, it is meant to dwell in and with you as the power and influence of God, as an everyday, moment-by-moment driving force of your life. So having the Spirit means that you see differently. It means that you think differently. It means that you speak differently. And it means that you act differently. Everything, Jonathan, is supposed to be different. That's That's right. That's what it means to have the Holy Spirit. And it's not something to be trifled with. It's not something to to look at and say, oh yeah, that's not so bad. I mean, this is is the biggest thing that that can ever happen in your life. To become Christ-like, Rick... We have to see differently, think differently, speak differently, and act differently. Yeah. If we're to follow that perfect pattern, yeah. and he, he had the full spirit in him. He right. was perfect. He could handle that full amount from the start. I, I see it as we start off. The Lord w- will bless us, if our heart is right, with a little. And as we mature and grow, then we can handle more right. and more. Right. But it's a process. I don't believe, because we're imperfect beings, that we could handle the full Right. Spirit. Well, and that's why the scriptures say, you know, I think in James it says that you, know, you should pray for more of God's spirit because there's more room in you for God's spirit. With Jesus, he, he didn't have to pray for more because he had as much as he, he, he was filled. Yes. Okay. And we want to strive to be filled. But you're right. That's a lifelong process of growing into. And again, I, this might sound like, you, you know, we're, we're being harsh and judgmental, but this is not a road. That is for any and every Christian. It's just simply not a road that that all Christians are on or should be on because it requires so much. The Spirit is only for those who are called and have answered the call. How do we know that? Again, let's go to the scriptures. John chapter 6, verse 65. And he was saying, For this reason I have said to you, 
that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. All right, there you have it. You can't come to Jesus truly to be a footstep follower unless God has said, go. Okay, so there's, there's, it's an invitational kind of thing. Having been called out and bought with this price, as it was said in the previous scriptures, we can now be given the comfort and direction that, that in Cheryl's comments you were talking about. Romans eight twenty six to 28, and again we're going to go with the Rotherham translation, which is a little rocky, but it's very accurate. In this self-same way, moreover, even the Spirit helpeth together in our weaknesses. For when we should pray for us as we ought, we know not. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession with the sighings unutterable. And he that searcheth the heart knoweth what is preferred by the Spirit, that according to God he maketh intercession in behalf of saints. We know further that unto them who love God, God causeth all things to work together for good unto them who, according to purpose, are such as he hath called. So here what we're seeing is that the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. It, it, can, it can help us, it can guide us, it can prod us, and sometimes we don't even know what's happening, but at the end of an experience you look back and you say, wow, I can see it now. I can see how it all unfolded, how it all came together, and how the Scripture says, how all things did work together because I love God and I'm trying to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Tonight's episode is, How Can I Get the Holy Spirit? Coming up, so what does the Spirit do for the called out ones? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Tonight's episode is, How Can I Get the Holy Spirit? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or... You can message us on your app. Out from the dark ages, errors from the past, and into the light of today, the original good news. Join us 24-7 at ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, really tonight we're, we're trying to, to look at Scripture and understand what the Holy Spirit really is, what it really does, what it really doesn't do. And the list of things that it doesn't do is getting longer and longer as we go through this program. And so there's no glitz and glitter and sensationalism? No, <laughs> not at all. And you think about that and you say, well, okay, what, the, what does it do? And, and, and let's focus now on the kinds of things that the, the God's holy, sacred power and influence actually does for us. So one thing God's Spirit does is it teaches us what to do and, and shows us the way. Uh, Luke chapter 12, verses 11 to 12, these are the words of Jesus. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers of the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now that sounds really cool, but here's the question. Does this mean that we are miraculously infused with knowledge and understanding with regard to spiritual things? No. No? No. 
<laughs> He's like, what do you know? That's what it just said, isn't it? Yeah, okay, let, let, let's, let's go through this, because this is important. Let's not confuse the early church gifts of the Spirit, which were sporadic at best and are no longer a needed commodity, with the gospel age begettal of the Spirit, which is inclusive of all body members. Wait, wait a minute, Rick. Uh, okay. Are you saying God can inspire you at a moment's notice to share the right words which are needed? No, I'm saying he does do that. Absolutely. What I'm saying he doesn't do is he's not going to give you this miraculous inspiration that is not based on anything you have sought to try to understand and figure out. He's not going to give you inspiration based on never opening the Bible and reading it, but just suddenly knowing it. He's not going to give you inspiration because you, you, just because you believe in him and, and you want by osmosis to, to know what truth is. He's going to give you that inspiration because you have worked to understand Scripture, to live a life of Christ-likeness. That's where the inspiration will come through. But you have to position yourself to be able to get that kind of inspiration. So all the learning from the prophets of old, from the apostles and their writings— putting it all together and being familiar with it. Yes. And now, now, why do we say that? I mean, because the Scripture seems to say, well, you know, the Spirit's going to teach you what to say right then and there. Well, let's go through how the apostles lay this out for us, because it's a very clear scriptural reasoning process. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. Remind them of these things, and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. So now this is interesting. This is being written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy. And Timothy was like a spiritual son to him. And the Apostle Paul was turning over a lot of his, the responsibilities of ministry within certain churches to Timothy. And he was saying, Timothy, you need to grow into the teaching role to be able to pick up where I am leaving off. And one of the things he tells to Timothy is, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed because you accurately handle the word of truth. Now, Jonathan, there's no miracle in Timothy's life here. This is hard work. That, it takes time to study. Right. That's what the, ap learn. the apostle's telling him. Study the word. Focus on it. Read it. Reread it. Discuss it. Pray on it. Meditate. Study. Write. And go through it again and again. And expand your thinking. Make it full of scriptural principles, scriptural processes, and prophecies so that you can be a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed because you know what it is you stand for. There's no miracle here. There's hard work. Now, there's blessing here, but no miracle. So we're in the schoolhouse of Christ yes. for life. Yes. And Timothy, who lived in the time of the gifts of the Spirit, was told, you better go to work. And that's such a great example for us to say, okay, if he had to go to work, surely we have got to go to work as well. So, I mean, having God's Spirit uh, carries with it sober responsibility for grasping the truth of Scripture. This requires time, effort, humility, and what you receive from it is God's blessing. And, and that's how the Spirit blesses us because, Jonathan, 
in studies when you are working on and working through the Word of God. The Spirit can help you to understand things you wouldn't have seen but are right there because you're looking for them. It's a beautiful thing. It is. It's an incredible, incredible, incredible experience. Now, this responsibility is, um, is especially given to those who are teachers. They're supposed to know the gospel. And that's, you know, Timothy in that verse was obviously a teacher and being groomed to be more so. In 1 Timothy 4, 6, and 7, again, he's being spoken to as one who is a responsible individual within the body of Christ. But again, it's pointing to us how important it is for us to know what it is that we believe. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine. Isn't that a great sentence? Just read that constantly nourished sentence again. I want to bask in the, in the, in the <laughs> sense of that. It's just so cool. Constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. So, again, Timothy is the subject. The Apostle Paul is writing to him. And he's saying, look, I'm asking you to take a leadership role. Uh, at one point, in, I can't remember, it's in First or Second Timothy. Uh, Timothy was a relatively young man. And he says, don't let them look down upon your youth. Just because you're young, don't let that intimidate you. You have been given a, a very sober responsibility to care for the churches, and I need you to do that. doesn't matter that you're young, just go do the work. But he says, in pointing these things out to the brethren, you, you can be a good servant of Christ if... Now, when you hear that, okay, you can be a really good servant of Christ if... Don't you want to know what comes next? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and here's the thing, and this is a principle that applies to everyone through God's Spirit. If you are constantly nourished on the words of faith and the words of sound doctrine. Which the Holy Spirit is a sound doctrine, a teaching right. to understand how it works, yes, what it is, what exactly, it does. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So when we get what it does, then we can promote what it does. And we can also promote what it does not do so we make sure we don't overstep the bounds. And I go back to the first hour when we were talking about that guy, Simon, who wanted to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit because he thought, wow, this is a great trick. And the God Spirit has nothing to do with, with uh, drawing attention. It performances. Has performances, that's what I, the word uh. I was trying to look for. It, it has nothing to do with the glitz and the glamour and all of that. And when you see those Christians who, who, who bask in the spotlight and the glory and the glamour and the drama, folks, let me ask you, what are they selling you? Is it the humility and the strength and the sacredness of the holiness of God's Spirit? Or is it a nice emotional feeling that says, oh, I love Jesus and life is good? Emotion does not equate to God's Holy Spirit. Just got to be careful. We got to be careful we don't fall into that. So, and, and there was a caution here on verse 7. Yeah. Do nothing, have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. Worldly <laughs> fables. In our day and age, what do we have to be careful of in worldly fables? What does that mean? Well, I think, you know, when you, let, let's ignore the old women part, okay? <laughs> right, yes, <laughs> okay? yes. 
Um, but you know, have nothing to do with worldly fables. And actually, in the other second Timothy scripture we read before that, it said, avoid worldly and empty chatter. That's right. So, so in both of these scriptures, while the Apostle Paul is focusing him on the goodness of what he can get by putting himself to work in the service of God, studying God's word, he's saying, don't allow the purity of God's word to be polluted with other things, with other stories, with other traditions, with, with other uh, mythology. Mm. So much of mythology has crept into and taken over many areas of Christianity today. And idolatry also. Yeah, absolutely. Positively. So worldly fables, worldly stories. Look, in a well-meaning way, the church throughout many, many hundreds of years utterly corrupted the sacredness of what Christianity was. You know, they decided to, to make the birth of Jesus a big deal. Nowhere in the scriptures does it tell us to make the birth of Jesus a big deal. You're right. Okay? They moved the date of the birth of Jesus, which was actually in October, <laughs> yes, to December, December 25th. because it would coincide with the birth of the sun, S-U-N. And they figured, now yeah, we can draw the pagans in. Well, the they Noel. Of it all. Right. But, and what happened is they didn't draw the pagans in. They drew paganism into Christianity. So it was a watering down. Worldly fables. Things that take away. That is not spirit-driven activity. And I think ceremony also is yeah. a caution that we have to be careful of. And, and today, uh, with that fascination of the gifts of the Spirit, the speaking in tongues yeah. and the healing are just a few things to not... To pay attention to. Right. Because, again, those gifts were given at the very beginning to give Christianity the, uh, the jump start that it needed. That's the, right. The Apostle Paul himself says in 1 Corinthians 14, look, all, you, all those gifts are wonderful, but I show you a better way. And then, or 1 Corinthians 13, and, and, and then he goes into the chapter on love. And the whole point of that is, that's all well and good, but that's not what this is really about. No. It's what it's not. about is growing up in Christ, and love is the centerpiece of that growing up. That's what the Holy Spirit helps us to do. It teaches us, and it helps us to grow up. Now, the rest of the body of Christ is certainly not without their share of responsibility for truth, because in these first two verses, it was primarily toward those who teach, but you still have the responsibility of others as well. Everybody, everybody is responsible to grow up in Christ according to the Spirit. Hebrews five eleven to 14. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have to come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. For he is an infant, but solid food is for the mature, who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. All right, so several things here. First of all, the, this is a general letter to the Hebrew Christians, and the apostle is saying, look, you've become dull of hearing. You're kind of down, but you're not out, but you better start to pay attention. Uh, he's saying, you're, you're, you're babies. And, you know, this is pretty strong language when you think about it. It is, it go, is. Go, talking to adults, look, you're, you're, all, you're all acting like a bunch of babies right here, right now, in terms of your Christianity. You have not picked up and run with the solid food of Christianity. You need to be fed, fed the milk, the nice things, the basic, basic, basic things, and you're not growing up into the more detailed things. 
He said, solid food's for the mature, who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Not because they've been zapped with some miracle and all of a sudden everything's right in their mind, because they've worked at it. They were workmen that needed not be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Exactly. Back in Second Timothy. Exactly. They heard, they studied, and they applied. That's what all of us are supposed to do, and that's what God's Spirit helps us with. And Jonathan, I would dare say that at this, at this time, that's one of the main things that God's Spirit helps us with, is to dig deeply into Scripture so we can get a true, deep, life-changing understanding of Scripture, understand what the Gospel really is about, what it's not about, and then therefore move forward from there. Let's, um, go ahead. To our live listeners right now, we'd love to hear your feedback, questions, or comments. Call us at 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. So having God's Spirit is a tool for us to be able to do the work of appropriate self-sacrifice, to do the work of witnessing to others, to do the work of building each other up in the faith. When we engage in all of this work, the fruit of God's Spirit overseeing our development becomes a thrilling thing. And these are the verses that, remember that nasty list we read in the last hour? Oh yeah, the 17 things yeah. you want to avoid? Yeah, yeah. That, that one. Well, yeah. this comes right after the nasty list. This is Galatians 5, 22 to 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. So this is, is focusing on the fruit of the Spirit. And you know, it's not fruits, plural. It's fruit, singular. What does the Spirit produce? It produces Love, joy, peace, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And I, I think of Vicky because she can rattle those off in such a way that <laughs> like nobody has ever heard. Um, but you know what it produces, Jonathan, is a better person, a more complete person, a stronger character, a, a a leadership quality amongst the human race that people look at and say, "There's something different about that person." And I want to be more like that because there's a simplicity, a, a, a strength, and a peace to that kind of person that is undescribable any other place. That's the work of God's Spirit. Again, it's not glitz. It's not glitter. It's not, hey, look at me. It's the simple quietness of living that Christ-like life. Did you notice that Jesus never drew attention to himself except by preaching the word? You're right. And he often said, you know, don't tell anyone yeah, about the miracle right, I right. just did. <laughs> he didn't try to draw people in a, a, a fascinating way. Right, right. He just, the work and the gospel spoke for itself. And that was the pattern that we're to follow. Right. You know, there were no singers and dancers that introduced Jesus. No. You know, there was no big blaring music or anything like that. It was simply the message of the good news of the gospel and he was driven by God's Spirit to present that good news. That's what we are supposed to be about. That's what's important to us. That's how the Holy Spirit works in our lives now. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Tonight's episode is, How Can I Get the Holy Spirit? Coming up. 
How do we use God's Spirit to maximize our own Christian life and the lives of those around us? That's next. Listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Tonight's episode is How Can I Get the Holy Spirit? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866 985 4255. That's 866 985 for all. Or you can message us on your app. And if you'd like to write to us, you can write us at Christian Questions, P.O. Box 1837, New London, Connecticut, 06320. So, Jonathan, as we start to wrap this up with this final segment, uh, we're, we're, we're looking at the Holy Spirit and trying to be as practical as we can in understanding from a scriptural perspective, what do you expect from God's Spirit? Holy, sacred Spirit power and influence. What do we expect from God's sacred power and influence in our lives? And the first answer that we keep repeating is, don't expect to be miraculously transformed to be glittery and glitzy and and have all kinds of bright and shiny lights. That's not what it's about. It's about the calm, uh, steady, uh, intentional changing of your life. It's about the development of your character. It's about walking you through self-sacrifice. It's about opening up the Word of God to you to help you understand it more clearly and put it together so you can be a workman who's not ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. It is an internal work that takes a lifetime. And as you mentioned earlier in the program, one of the things we have to look for is to, to get more of the Holy Spirit as we go through, through this Christian walk. As we mature. That's right, Rick. Because you can only handle so much at the beginning. And if you grow up a little bit more, you can handle a little bit more. And if you grow up a little bit more, you can handle a little bit more. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 21, has a lot of little things that tell us how the Holy Spirit changes our lives. So we're going to go through this, and then we're going to you know, kind of go back and, and touch on, on, on several, several points. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Okay, so right there, making the most of your time. And in today, Jonathan, our world is about leisure. That is completely contradictory to what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be making the most of our time, not looking for ways to take time off. Uh, So that's one of the things. Be careful how you walk. Make the most of your time. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, how do you understand what the will of the Lord is? You study. That's right. If if you immerse yourself in Scripture and scriptural principle, if you fellowship with those of, of, of like faith... You're going to be able to much more easily see the will of God. I promise you that. And you'll also see overruling providences in your life and seeing the Lord's direction, which builds your faith. Right. And when you hear the providence working in others right. and you share it with them and, and they share with you, you really understand how God communicates through that power, that spirit. Exactly. And, 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 and the power of fellowship cannot be underestimated here. So, 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 you know, we're getting several little, little points that are very practical for the ways that God's Spirit can affect our lives and change them. Go on to verse 18. 
And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, now that's our theme scripture, and, and I think it's a great scripture. You know, it, look, it, it makes this incredible contrast of opposites, getting drunk with wine, literally getting filled up with wine and now being sort of not in control of your faculties anymore. Right. You're filled up, okay? You're filled up with wine. You've had too much to drink. He says that is dissipation. That is essentially draining out. Dissipation, when something dissipates, it gets smaller. So by filling yourself up with wine, you have made yourself smaller. But instead, be filled with the Spirit because that's how you make yourself grow into a larger picture of Christ. So don't get into the dissipation of this world, the things that make you a smaller person. Do the things that will make you a better person in, in, the, in the image of Christ. Uh, verses 19 and 20. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. So speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and always giving thanks. And Last week's program was on gratitude and how gratitude can play such an incredible role in our lives. Speaking to one another in psalms and songs means that there should be a really significant praise uh, perspective in all of this work that we do. Well, Rick, the good news is exciting. Yeah. It's happy. It, it's beautiful. It's kind of like a song. And the more gems that you're receiving from your personal studies and sharing with others, it, it just is melody just coming out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's exciting. It's thrilling. Well, and that's, that's one of the reasons I love doing this, this podcast, because to me, that's exactly what, what we get to experience here. It's looking into the scriptures and finding these gems that, that, that most of them, you, you, you sort of knew what they were there, but you didn't really know. And then you look at it and you say, wow, look at that. And, and that's the beauty of, and, and to be able to share that with others, that makes it contagious to others in a very, very good and positive way. And verse 21, we've already touched on a little bit, but what's verse 21 say? And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. To be subject to one another has a thought of being accountable to one another. It does. And that's, that can be a good thing, and that can be a scary thing. This is a spiritual family. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and in a family, and, and and you know the way we have to look at a family is we have to consider the time at which this was written. A family back then worked very differently than a family now. You're now, right. now you have you know in in the nuclear family you have the mother and the father and the two kids, and the mother and father right now they both work for a living and the two kids play all day and go to school and learn things and yada yada yada. Back then in a family, it wasn't quite that way. Now, dad went to work and mom took care of the home and the children, but the children were directly responsible for supporting the household as well. And there was an accountability from top to bottom in any real true family. Everyone had to do their part. Right, right. And that's what the body of Christ is supposed to be. And so when you plant God's sacred power and influence into many individuals and allow them to work together, that's what a real true family is supposed to look like. Do they always agree on everything? Nope. No. <laughs> <laughs> but can they still work together? Absolutely. Yes. And that's what we've got to be looking for. 
So those are several things that, that God's Spirit can help us to do. God's Spirit was and is a witness, which means a proof or a record of his plan being carried out. Again, let's go to uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 32, and, and Rotherham translation is a little bit rough, but very accurate. And we are witnesses of these things, also the Holy Spirit, which God hath given unto them who are yielding obedience unto him. Okay, we are witnesses of these things. What See, that word is really easily misunderstood. And there's two different meanings for it, and we want to make sure we get what we think is the right meaning here. So what does that word actually mean? Or Rick, it means a witness, a martyr, or record. Okay, a martyr is somebody whose um, life you look at as a witness. Okay, mm-hmm. you, you see their life and say, wow, that is a witness of something else. Like Stephen was a martyr. His, his life and the way he died was a witness. A record. He was a, um, you can see the record of God's plan unfolding through the life of Stephen. So it's not necessarily a witness like, oh, I saw that and I witnessed it. But my very life is a witness. It's a record of God's plan. That's the meaning of this. So when it says that we are a witness of these things and the, the Spirit is a witness as well, it doesn't mean that we see these things. It means that we are, we are the record of God's plan being carried out. Actively working it out. Right, right. And exactly. people take notice. Right. And, and one, one, one other scripture on that, 2 Corinthians one twenty three. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul, that to spare you, I came not as yet unto Corinth. For a record upon my soul. In other words, for a confirmation upon my soul. So when it says the Spirit is a witness, it doesn't mean the Spirit saw something. It means the giving of the Spirit was an actual physical record that God's plan was unfolding. That, well, you, you, you know, you can get a little technical on, on the meaning. That's also very inspiring. Because it says, we are a witness of these things. We are So, Jonathan, in our time, in our day, are, am I, are you being a record of God's plan unfolding? That's, well, that's our goal, isn't it? Right. To let our light shine. Right. To be the salt of the earth. So, others now and later should be able to look at our lives and they should be able to say, ah, I can see God's overruling in that person's life. Look at how that worked. That's an inspiration. That shows me God is real. Uh, Am I, are you that record of God's plan because of God's spirit working in you? So because God's spirit is a record, a proof of truth, we should use fulfilled prophecy as a witness tool as well as many other brilliant truths that, that are revealed in Scripture. When you've got prophecies that have been fulfilled, like Israel being restored to their land, yes, is probably one of the most obvious, greatest fulfillments of prophecy in modern day history. And yes. we should constantly be looking at that and saying, that shows you something special. I mean, when ever did that happen where you had a nation that was scattered to the four corners of the earth? Remember, Jesus said, your house is left to you desolate. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Israel was destroyed as a nation and came back to their homeland through very horrible, horrible circumstances, were able to reestablish as a nation. In 1948, became officially recognized as a nation before the world. And that tiny little nation the size of New Jersey right now is stable and powerful and productive. 
How did that happen? Only by God's grace. And God's word revealed it thousands of years before it happened. Thousands of years before. How did... Was that luck? I think not. That was the power and influence of God at work. Another thing that God's Spirit does, Jonathan, is, is it builds and brings us our hope. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. And hopeth maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit which is given unto us. So hope makes... The hope that we have is not something to be ashamed of. Not only does God's Spirit build our hope for ourselves, but it also builds our hope for all others because we know that according to God's plan, that the calling to God is not just limited to the true Christians right now that we've been focusing on. No, it's not. There's good news here, Rick. There's good news here that expands to everyone else. So as as we really narrowed the playing field throughout the program, saying not for everybody, not for everybody, not for everybody, not for everybody. The Holy Spirit, right? Right. The Holy Spirit in a begettal sense right here, right now, is not for everybody. But the purpose of having it not for everybody now is so that everybody later can benefit from the work that that God's power and influence did through these individuals and through Christ here and now. Let's take a look at that in in an Old Testament prophecy that actually has two different applications in terms of its its of its fulfillment. But um, this is the prophecy from Joel twenty uh, two twenty eight and twenty nine, and this is actually the prophecy that Peter quoted at Pentecost. It will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. God's spirit. So what we have here is we've got the, uh, a sense of a bigness of God's spirit, God's power and God's influence being around all of humanity. And Jonathan, we don't talk about this too often, but... You think about the circumstances within the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, God's Spirit was there. God communicated with Adam and with Eve. His power and his influence overwhelmed the place. What happened was, now there was no begettal of God's Spirit, but God's Spirit was present to oversee, if you will. Satan got in the way, mankind followed Satan, and God's Spirit allowed, God allowed it, that to happen. And God's Spirit, therefore, was not heeded. And then the consequences have gone on for, oh, I don't know, 6,000 years since. Yes. Such a mess. But see, God's Spirit is not just for now. It's not just for Christians. Rather, it is a power and influence that is eternal in its effect and its unshakable righteousness. And, and, and that's the thing to me that is so so powerful and inspiring. God's Spirit, the sacred Holy Spirit, sacred power and influence of God, is unshakable in its righteousness. And just as the Spirit worked in creation of all things, the same Spirit works in the restitution, the restoring of all things. Our final scripture is Micah chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. And it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and the peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us about his ways, 
and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion the law will go forth, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So you have this prophecy that has not yet come to fulfillment, and it says, in the last days, the mountain, and, and, and in scripture, mountains often represent governments. That's right. So the government of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of all governments, higher and stronger and bigger and better than all others. And it will be raised above everything and everybody will be able to stream to it. And people are going to say, let us go to see where God is. Because it says that, go to the house of God of Jacob that he may teach us his ways and walk in his paths. And it, will, and it will stem from Jerusalem. So there, there's a, a great promise of God's governance being back present on earth. And what's the result of that? Well, Micah chapter 4, verses 3 uh, and 4 tells us the result. And he will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty, distant nations. Then they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they train for war. Each of them will sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. And it's interesting, Jonathan, if you tie this scripture together a little bit with the, the creation. Remember it said the Spirit of God moved uh, uh, across the face of the waters, and God said, let yes. there be light. Well, the Spirit of God will be present in this new age. And it says, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. That's how you know it's the power and influence of God, because it is the word of God. So when we look at God's spirit, you know, let, let's try to sum this up. For the Christian now, it is a few and far between experience. It is a it is. hard experience. It's something to be to have great, great respect for and even fear for, because you are dealing with life and death in living a life of sacrifice to attempt to follow after Jesus Christ. Because there is a sin against the Holy Spirit. Right. And which if we, means death. And, and you've got to be really careful about that. So we don't want to get ourselves in that situation. But by the same token, we do want to get ourselves, if we have been called according to his purpose, we want to put ourselves in a position where we can be blessed with the indwelling of God's Spirit, his power, his sacred influence to help us grow up into Christ so we can be faithful unto death, so we can be part of that royal priesthood that uses God's Spirit to bless all the families of the earth. Because that's what God's Spirit is about. It's about love and blessing and goodness and the gospel because of Jesus. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us tonight. We'll be back again next week. Next week we're talking about stress. Why are we so stressed? You don't want to miss that one. But until then... Think about the power of God's Spirit and how it can work in your life. Set yourself up to be called of God according to His purpose and let the Spirit dwell in you. Till next week, think about it. <laughs>